remember to subscribe and share. Gavin Roach is a theatre maker who has created many LGBTQ characters and staged theatre productions around Australia and New Zealand. These productions include Confessions of a Grinder Addict, The Measure of a Man, I Can't Say the F Word, and Beyond Priscilla. Gavin is here today to talk about his journey in theatre and theatre making. Gavin Roach. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Well, I'm very excited to see you because I've been following you on Instagram. Oh, thank um, you. Ever since you did a show called Disco Pig. Yes, 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 yes. I was doing a show at the same time and I started to follow you there. And, and I know you've been very prolific in doing a whole lot of theatre. But this is a little bit like a therapy session. I like to to get to know a little bit about mm-hmm. you and I'd like you to share a little bit of uh, personal info yeah great um, to the to the audience out there as well so let's start this here we go Are you ready yep do you remember at all the first production you ever saw yes on stage? I remember the first three so the first ever was the jungle book uh, it was puppets. I was quite young, so all I can really remember is the young boy puppet and a very green and lush scenery, and my mother saying that I was completely captivated. I remember my parents took me to see Forty Second Street, uh, and that was incredible. And then we saw a play called Big River. My parents were really insistent that we just see everything. They were big theatre fans, big theatre goers, where they could be. I was, you know, a, a child of the nineties recession so it was tricky to, to see everything but they definitely didn't deny me any kind of creative avenue and and just because you do a lot of gay theatre when was when did you start seeing more adult theatre because a lot of uh, gay theatre is is very much adult oh theater. completely do you remember that first adult production oh, you saw absolutely it was year 10 it was Rivers of China it's when I fell in love with Alma de Groen and it opened on the Sydney Theatre Company stage, Wharf One, and so the play opened with um, a woman straddling a man and they were having sex and she was fully clothed and he was naked. Everyone in the class was laughing and I'm like, there's something about this image that I'm having a different reaction to. There was a QA and a after and the the actress was talking about that scene because it was all school kids and everyone was like, oh my gosh. And the thing that I realised that I had picked up on and in no way was I any kind of theatrical savant but it was what I noticed was because she was fully clothed and she got up and pulled her underwear on it was a position of power instantly and that was what I saw rather than the actual act of these two people having sex or that he was naked and it was suddenly a drama not that I even knew what it was but it was a dramaturgical insight that I was like oh there are meanings behind imagery and meanings behind the words and that was really my first foray into into a world inside the text. Now, you, you didn't grow up in Melbourne, of course. I mean, you've no. produced a lot of shows in Melbourne, but you didn't grow up in Melbourne. You're a Sydney sider yes. like me. I discovered going uh, through Instagram. I think <laughs> yes. Uh, whereabouts in Sydney did you grow up? In Parramatta. Now, there would not have been much adult theatre out in Parramatta. No. 
still isn't. Growing up. No, it really wasn't. Um, I grew up, yeah, when Parramatta was going through, and still is, a lot of change. It was actually something that I, later in life, when I went and did my first master's degree, I remember having quite a heated discussion about a number of people there who would talk about that professional productions have to go out to Parramatta to get some sort of grants that were going. And they were like, oh, nobody out there wants to see them. And I'm like, don't blame the people, blame the infrastructure. If I wanted to go and see a play, my parents would have had to have driven me, which is fine. The bus stop was close to the train station, which at the time of me growing up, it was rife with crime. I think the idea of going alone to Parramatta when I was young would have just made my parents' hair fall out. Certainly, if I wanted to go and see a particular show, I would have had to ask my parents. They would have wanted to know what show I'm going to and why. There were a lot of shows that I wanted to see and I didn't really know why. Paramount would have been, as you said, fairly rough. How, how did that um, affect you in terms of being gay? Because there wouldn't have been much support to who is going, someone who's going to be a gay artist mm-hmm. out at Paramount. That's why I ran away. So... You ran away. Well, yeah, Where so... Where did you run? <laughs> wagga Wagga. Uh, you ran from Paramount to Wagga Wagga. Correct. It was... Um, <laughs> Acting school, of all things. Yeah, so I spent six years there studying, uh, acting and directing. In a very odd way, uh, Wagga was a lot less homophobic than Parramatta was. Very different now. I had the absolute privilege early in the year to see Choir Boy at Riverside Theatre in Parramatta, and I had to apologise for the people walking past and watching me on the the side of the road heave crying, because if, if I had seen that when I was younger it would have given me hope that there were tribes out there for me. Growing up in Parramatta being gay was completely foreign the idea of being an artist even more so. It's so different now and it's so celebrated and supported. Uh, My parents still live there and every time I go up to see some shows in Sydney I stay with them and it still feels now in my 40s just as isolating as it did when I was 15-16. So when I left it was a, a very gleeful and empowering moment I remember driving down the highway completely thinking that I'd have a Logie by the time I left (laughs) acting school that was the dream but it was all it was it was about finding me because all through school I just made myself so sheltered and so small so that I wasn't seen anymore because I was so severely bullied I didn't want to be noticed I didn't want that kind of attention I just wanted to scoot through and you were just saying that you were bullied Did, did bullying come out in your work when you started to yes to write and what was the play that i'm assuming it's a play yeah what was the play you wrote about bullying so it's part of uh my trilogy of works and it starts with i can't say the f word i can say it for you fuck Oh, you mean it's a title? Oh, yeah. You mean it's the, your title? No. I knew that. Oh, I can say fuck. Fuck's great. I love fuck. It's the um the bag of sticks, gay slur. And I wrote a whole play around words and how interesting words are and, and how words shape and change and about this particular word that I refuse to say. Which, um, which was or was it faggot? Is yes. It, I knew, I, I thought that's where you were going. And I do, I get somebody in the audience to say it, uh, if they want to, but they then have to come on the journey of why I don't say it. And I talk about uh, when I first heard it at school, and then I tell stories of when I was
was eight, I asked my mother, how do you kill yourself? Because I wanted it to end. Hearing it every day being screamed out of the bus, or um, I was the kid that if somebody else was thought of was gay, they'd point to me and be like, well, I'm not, but Gavin is. A friend of mine once said to me that straight people are defined by their personality. Yes. And gay people are defined by their sexuality. Yes. I pretty much had an inkling when I was six. I didn't really know what it was or what the words were or anything like that. It really just had nothing to do with anybody else. And the older I got, the more frustrated I was that I didn't know why people cared and why people were so against it and why people were so angry. And I just wanted to be left alone. So I, now, now the word faggot, just going back mm, to, to that first play, does it empower you now? No. Or, or you still feel the same about still, it? I'll still always feel the same. I, I know, and I talk about that in the play. I talk about that other people can say it. I'm not going to stop them from saying it. If anybody references me in that way, I very kindly tell them to stop and happily tell them why. It's a violent word for me. It's a word that reminds me of running, of hiding, of being hurt and abused. I can't find any avenue to reclaim it, but I wrote about it and I really enjoyed it. And I took the work to Perth and New Zealand. A, a dear friend of mine that I went to uni with, after he saw the work, he was just like, I'm never going to say that word ever again. Because you do something from what I was reading in the play, which is a little unusual and uncomfortable uh, for the audience. You pick somebody and I think you make them say the word, yes. don't you? So there is a total stranger you have never met who's come to see your show and they've walked in and you said, you're the person that's going to say faggot throughout the whole show. Yes. Wow. No one's gotten to the end. What a responsibility. The most somebody has done was five times. And oh. there's about 16 times in the show where so I they're, ask. they're feeling uncomfortable. Correct. I, I really do believe not every piece of theatre is just about entertainment. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think sometimes an audience should be made feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But, you know, in Australia, we're not used to it. No, not at all. Theatre like that in Australia. It's it's rare to see it now. Mm. Jumping back to Sydney when you were a kid, I'm not a kid, well, a teenager, you would have seen that kind of theatre. I mean, I really didn't sort of discover much about Sydney theatre until I came back from Wagga, and it was it was strange because it was almost like we were allowed to go to the Opera House to see some things. Even though I went there every year with my parents for a end of year um, Christmas gala that my grandmother would always get us tickets to and we'd get on a bus and it was a big old deal even even in saying that I performed on the opera house stage in a school concert but I never envisioned myself on the other side watching a show I don't know it, it wasn't so much a barrier thing but it's like oh that's not a place for me you mean the opera house wasn't a place for you yeah you mean yeah strangely enough like watching a show I mean I did a show in, in the opera house as well in the drama theater yes uh, I was 21 at the time I thought I'd made it oh completely Little did I know the journey that was going, going to follow. But it's interesting because in Sydney, if you get on the Opera House, you're a big deal. And you didn't feel you belonged there. Is that what you're saying? I, d I don't think I ever thought that I could go and just see a show there. I thought it had to be a big old grand experience. It was probably just how it was pitched to how 
I grew up in suburbia, that it's in the city, it's 40 minutes away, you wore a certain outfit for it, there was a certain revelry to it. Now when I go, I think the last time I was there I had two hours to kill so I fell asleep in the foyer. In between shows... Well, it's a nice place to fall asleep. Oh, it's gorgeous and the, it was very comfortable. When Spencer Tunic had an installation, I was naked on the steps of the opera house. Who is the artist uh, that, yes. that comes in and he takes over a city or an area of a city yeah. and he gets everyone naked. Yeah, so it was for uh, Mardi Gras at the time and I was interning. We got everybody in and then my coordinator was like, well, are you going to do it? And I'm like, oh gosh, of course. And then next thing I was naked on the opera house steps. Yeah, it's completely different now to what it represented when I was growing up. But then so am I. Here's a question for you. Now, in today's day and age, I find theatre very conservative. Do your shows have nudity in them? And do we like nudity on show? I like nudity on mm. stage. I think it can be a really beautiful thing to watch. What's your, what's your attitude? And actors today, young actors mm -hmm. in particular, they won't do it. I remember in my first instance with nudity on stage was at drama school. We were doing Spring Awakening, the play, not the musical. The, the subject of nudity came up and we were a very ballsy year and everyone's like, we don't care, we'll do it, fuck it. And then the director was like, great, so we're going to do Spring Awakening, but we're going to be naked. And I'm fine with my body. Well, I was up until then. All of a sudden, everybody was looking and people were coming to the show purely for those reasons. It wasn't just me naked. There were loads of other people. But it was a very unsafe environment. It wasn't exactly closed rehearsals. I think one of my directions was that my character had to cup grapes like he was cupping a pair of low-hanging testicles. Oh, that's one hell of a direction. Um, and I just looked at the director. I'm like, I'm not about to do that. I'm about to cup some grapes. I remember getting into a huge argument with the director because he wanted to cut my only monologue. And it was uh, a young boy talking about how he's going to grow up to become a vicar. And the director was like, well, I'm going to cut that because that just isn't true. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, this young boy has, has had sex with another guy. Obviously, he can't be a vicar. I'm like, he's 14. He's just had sex with his best friend, but you will always marry. The idea of, of a homosexual couple is foreign. You can have sex with your best friend, but you marry a woman. And I will say the words, you will not stop me. And he was just like, well, no, you, you, we're not having him be that kind of gay. Well, he's going to be. If an actor said that to you as a director today, mm -hmm. how would you handle that today? Oh, I'd love it. Opens up such collaboration and I love when actors fight for their characters. I love when it's a, it's a genuine fight, not just a, oh, I want more lines or I want more time on stage. When it's a, no, this is staying and this is why. And when they can open a dialogue and when we challenge each other and we collaborate, I don't enjoy rehearsal rooms where it's just a traffic cop director and a complacent actor. I've, I've worked uh, over the past two years with a number of uh, performers doing one-person shows and there's always a time when they fight for a bit or we disagree or they're like, no, I'm not saying it like that. That's not what this person is. And I kind of love it. Either we just end up agreeing to disagree and they get to, to have the line or we thrash it out until we find a common ground. Did you have any idols growing up you admired 
or were there any gay artists that that you admired that maybe influenced uh, your work? Growing up, no. Purely because I kind of fell into directing because it seemed like the next string to my bow. Especially at the end of drama school, I realised I didn't want to be doing shows that I didn't... I didn't want to be a commercial actor. And I really fell into that time in the very early 2000s when, you know, my lecturers still said to me, you're going to have to find a way to play it straight. And I laughed and I said, well, that's... What does he mean by that? I wouldn't be cast. So he's saying to you, because you're gay... Yes. You won't get roles. Correct. And I, and my response was just, well, I'm going to go after the gay roles. They're just the gay best friend because I'm not talented enough for them to forget my absolute flouncy walk when I walk into a room. Again, I wasn't defiant. I wasn't a, a new age protester. Did I, that wound you in any kind yes. of way? And because th- I, I would imagine if, um, if you were told that by a director in a course and you're, you're quite young, yeah. you'd be quite shattered. It didn't completely shatter me it made me frustrated that the industry was exactly how we thought it was going to be as we were graduating and it just made me determined I still naively thought that once you graduate your acting school you get an agent and then you sort of start auditions and whatnot I wasn't totally naive I knew I'd need a day job and whatnot I planned to move back to Sydney but I just thought there'll there'll be something for me I really didn't even consider making my own work it would be 10 years till I would get to that bit. That's a lot, it's a long time to use, yeah. but, but I guess that's a lot of a lot of experience, a lot of working with other other people. And and I guess you're in, in that ten years, um, you're finding you're finding uh, your voice um, in, in that, aren't you? I had a lot of uh, growth in terms of what I wanted to do, what I, what I wanted to be in terms of acting. I didn't really you know, I I'd done my, my acting course, that was three years, and then I did some assistant directing until I did my honours and that was all in Wagga and then I just fucked off to London for a while and that was glorious amounts of fun so how did you come to Melbourne what brought you to Melbourne it's a love affair brought you to Melbourne no it it, it was actually a running joke that everybody that we knew from Sydney when they moved to Melbourne within six months would meet the love of their life and I've been here nine years and I'm still waiting when I was 27 I was working at a place called Bilderbear it was awful the middle of the day no one had come in and I couldn't clean anymore and I burst into tears and I'm like I am wasting my life I don't know how to get out of this so I started writing you know the idea of like write what you know came into my head and at the time Grindr had come out and it was all still a bit salacious and a bit naughty and a bit weird when we look back at it now that people felt such shame using it but I wrote about this essentially a Grindr addict and I showed it to a few friends and they really liked it and I was curating a festival called the Mardi Gras Colorblind Project around getting a lot more diversity on stage and a friend was and I was like I'm gonna submit this and my co-collaborator was like I'll direct it you have to star in it and I hadn't been on stage in years I'm like no no I'm not doing that I'm not at all and then of course I did so it was a 10 minute piece and reviewers loved it they were like we wish we'd seen more so I turned it into the bigger piece that went for an hour and that's how I got to Melbourne the first time ever as I toured it here people loved that show they loved coming and i wish i had just kept on going until i made bank like i did it in edinburgh i did it in new zealand i did it in every 
state around the country. And and when you think about the theatre that you've done, mm. we've, we've said it's, a lot of it's been um, queer theatre. Yeah. Do you have a um, burning desire at all to do straight theatre? No. Not, not at all? No. There's not one straight story you want to tell? The older I get, the queerer I get in my mindset, myself and my theatre. I remember clicking off doing um, the third year show, Spring Awakening, the bit that I was clothed in. I remember just going on to autopilot and thinking about the work that I wanted to do and I didn't know it then. But now I don't have any interest in telling stories that don't really have a queer focus or a queer character. Um, I do find it interesting Mm. when I meet other writers and directors and they are specifically just wanting to tell these stories Mm. about, you know, the gay community. Because I look at stories as stories. Yeah. And uh, and then a little bit different to you, I think about the lighting and the Mm. costumes and the wigs. For me, it's history. We aren't in history books. We aren't in in writings. We aren't in education programs. But we're in theatre. We're in song. We're in paintings. And that's where we find ourselves. I always say that often with independent theatre, the structure of the theatre building itself means that it's really awkward for audiences to leave. So for an hour, I've got you. And if you want to leave, it's going to be real awkward. So people don't. Do you want people to be uncomfortable because you were uncomfortable? comfortable and when you were growing up I think there's something beautiful in sharing your pain with people as an artist the whole anxiety trilogy I I skirt the line of trauma porn what so, do you mean by trauma porn those shows where somebody gets up and kind of trauma dumps and talks about their, their traumatic life and how hard I've had it and how awful it is and sometimes I'm sure audiences have felt like that and throughout the, the three shows which is um, I can't say the F word the measure of a man and my most recent one, Your Silence Will Not Protect You. I really take people on a journey with my bullying or with my sexual anxiety, my relationship with my body, dealing with life as an alcoholic, with my mental illnesses. It can be a lot. And I've had friends walk out. I remember my best friend walked out after the first line of The Measure of a Man um, in a very loving way because the first line is the first time I measured my penis. And she was like, nope, I'm out. And then waited afterwards and... And it was fine. I never intentionally want to make people feel uncomfortable, but I, I'm very honest. And I think there's sometimes that honesty in theatre when it is the person on stage, when it is their story that is confronting for a lot of people. In- when, you, when you're with an audience mm-hmm. and you're, because you can feel um, an audience yeah. with you or getting uncomfortable, it's a, you know, as, as a performer, you can feel yeah. and you can, and you, the, the theatre becomes deadly quiet yep. and there's just that black silence does that empower you as an artist or does it does it make you shrink a little bit back to you i mean i always work in elements of comedy those moments of just the inky black of a theater aren't ever long i do intercut it with a quick little quib and off we go again but there are moments where i feel if, if i've lost an audience or if the audience just aren't going with me 
me or if they're not kind of along or if they're uncomfortable I'm right back to that scared little little kid what would you like an audience to know about you as an artist when they walk out of the theatre they've come and they've seen Mm -hmm. confessions of a grinder addict what is it you want them to take away about gay theatre and about you I think with that show particularly I want them to kind of not see themselves necessarily on stage but find a common ground and I think I'd I'd love them to see me as a bit of a a point of difference. A lot of TV shows when I was growing up I was watching queer shows around the height of like queer as folk and we always would see these you know very sex focused muscle bound conventionally attractive men on TV or the loveless sexless Will and Grace who were just comedy fodder and then finding my own voice through through theatre I'm not like any of them. I mean a lot of people would tell me that I was like Jack from Will and Grace but even then it was like I'm not the comedy I'm not your comedic clown here. Well that's because um, gay people were, were often the joke yes. in a movie they were often the joke in a show Yeah, they were always the joke in a musical you grew up resentful of those characters you know I, I guess I have a little bit of a different relationship yeah. to it now but you know at the time as a, as a kid uh, with no role models mm. really to look at uh, you are resentful of those gay characters yeah. and you feel a bit uncomfortable watching all these straight people laughing at the silly gay guy well it's also just that one I think it perpetuated the, this idea that there was one way to be if you never really fit into that one way that we were kind of raised to be watching something like Queer folk to go out all the time to you know constantly party to assume that the world hates us to just completely like determine that our, our worth is our body then where do you fit and there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that and it was difficult to kind of navigate that with my friends because I was like I don't feel the same way that you do but a lot of them would kind of be like oh so should I change I'm like no but neither should I that's why I, I kind of love where I am in my life and the people that I've met and I think why I militantly make queer theatre and sometimes it's very selfish because I get to meet the most wonderful people who see the world and navigate the world in a completely different way than what I ever did at their age or do now. It's so great to find those people. Well look this I think we're coming to the close of our mm-hmm. our podcast. I think we've had a very big journey. I yes. Think. I didn't get to ask all the questions I was intending to ask but I do have one question for you um just to wrap up this podcast who would you turn straight for oh there are so many um just give me one i've thought about this all the time probably off the top of my head marion cotillard oh that's she's an actress yes she was in uh la vie en rose um she's in inception she's in um the third batman movie she's stunning her eyes are just huge I remember meeting this French boy in Paris and she came up in conversation and he referred to her as the plain one I still remember that because I'm like if that's what French people determine as plain then we are just trash monsters but yeah she's beautiful I adore her what what is it you're doing next and give it a plug sure so next I'm bringing to the stage something that I have written so it's an adaptation of a true crime novel called The Devil's Grip that tells the story of a triple murder that happened in Geelong through the eyes of a secret gay lover. Oh, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, so you can find Gavin Roach on Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
Gavin, I've only got one thing to say now. This has been your 15 minutes of fame. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, Noel Anderson's 15 Minutes of Fame, remember to subscribe and share.